Vincent Werbeck's Derby. As I said at the beginning, we've got four different speakers this morning. Some of them have done this in other places. Uh, I think some of them haven't. So, um, Rach, would you like to come and read for us? Uh, So the reading is from Philippians 4, starting at verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content of plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all good God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thank you. Amy's going to be first up. So, Amy, do you want to come up? And I'm going to pray for each of you. Um, It is not a preach-off. They're not competing for a prize. Um, We just want to hear what God's uh, got from each of them for us. So let's pray for you guys. Father God, thank you so much for this letter to the Philippians. Thank you for all that we've learned over these months. Father, thank you for the work that's gone into today. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd anoint each person as they preach. Lord, you open our ears to hear what you've got for us. And would you change lives this morning? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hi, everyone. Great. Some of you are awake, but a very small number. Good morning. So this morning, I wanted to share with you two of my thoughts and discoveries about the passage. But before we begin, I thought it'd be a good idea if we see if we're on the same page. So what comes to mind when I say contentment. Google tells us that it's a state of peaceful happiness, pleased with our circumstance or situation, not hoping for change or improvement, to be truly satisfied. But in the passage, Paul is talking about being satisfied regardless of our situation. And I'm not sure about you, but this is definitely not how I live my life. I have hopes and dreams And so I've struggled to live in the tension of being thankful for where I'm at and what God is doing now, along with wanting my plans for the future to happen. I have things in my life that I want to see be fulfilled. I'm often not content with where I am right now, especially when I want to see improvement or when I want to see movement towards my dreams. So what does it actually look like? to be content while still longing for dreams in his hands. But that means that then you have to let him have them. You have to hand them over, which can be a difficult thing to do. Your contentment for now 
depends on you releasing your dreams back to God and allowing him to have control. You loosen your grasp on your dreams and take the hand of the one who gave you those dreams in the first place. That freedom then releases you to be content and happy with your situation right now, knowing that the future is covered. God has it in his hands. I'm not saying that you don't play your part. I'm saying that you say that Christ is enough for you and that you can trust in him with what you cannot see or control. And that right now, regardless of what you face, like Paul, as long as you have Jesus, he'll give you the strength that you need to get through it. Now, I love verse 13, especially in the message version, and it will pop up on the screen for you. It says, Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. So what comes to mind when you think of what you have? And what comes to mind when you think of where you are? And do you trust the one who makes you who you are? Is Christ enough for you? I love music. Anybody who knows me knows that. And that's why God will never make me a nurse. God knows me and he knows you and he makes you who you are. Not made, but makes. He is constantly wanting relationship with you and continually wanting to mold us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. So why don't we trust him? I believe contentment is linked to hope. You can be content in your now and still have hopes for the future because my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, so it's not going to crumble. It's so countercultural to be content. It's not normal to not be looking forward, to not be progressing on. We're told, get a better job. If you're not happy with what you have now, then I don't think you'll ever be. And that is why you need to find your contentment in Christ. A hope that can't be shaken is found completely in Christ. I was thinking about hope, and I don't think I've ever been without it. I've had the privilege of knowing God all my life. And although I've fallen far, very far at times, he's always caught me and raised me back up. But the closest I came to feeling hopeless was when my granddad died. I never knew if he believed in God or not, and that broke me. I was incredibly fearful that I'd never see him in heaven. And at his funeral, something was shared that put my fears at rest. And I now believe that he is with the Lord. However, I will never forget that feeling. And I don't know about you, but I never want to be in that place where I haven't done all I could to share Jesus with the ones that I love. Now, that doesn't mean ramming him down their throats. Far from it. Show them God's love. Share with them why you are content in the good times as well as the bad. That will speak volumes. Share how Jesus is the firm foundation on which you stand. And that's why you are able to face anything. But obviously, you can only do this if Christ is enough for you. So, is he? Thanks, Amy. Okay, I'm going to invite the first Charlie up to speak. We've got two. Here you go. Thanks. Morning. Uh, right, confession time. 
I am a worrier. I worry a lot. Pretty much all the time I spend worrying about something. I know it's not right. I know I need to fix that. I know I need to change. My favorite thing to worry about, sounds weird saying that, my favorite thing to worry about is when I'm driving in my car and I realize I've got nothing to worry about. And then I'm panicking. Why am I not worrying? I've got a million things to worry about. Why is none of it bothering me yet? So like I said, I know it's something I need to fix. I know it's something I need to sort out. And people always say, you know, you can find your answers in the Bible. You find your hope in the Bible. You can find your peace in the Bible. So great, I'll look through it. And you look through Philippians. And there's this dude, Paul, 2,000 years ago saying, guys, I've got the secret. I know the secret for content. To be content. To not worry. <sighs> Gimme. Gimme. I need it. I need to stop worrying. It's not doing anything for my health. So I need to stop worrying. And you look through the reading that Rachel gave. And he says, you know, I'm content in hunger. I'm content in plenty. I'm content in want and need. I'm content in all things. Great. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Great, Paul. Get, get to the answer. What is it? Thank you for your gifts. Fantastic. What's the answer? The gifts are pleasing to me. Great. The gifts are pleasing to God. Great. What's the answer? All the saints in Caesar's household greet you. Amen. And book ends. And I'm sort of there like, Where's the secret, Paul? You said you had the secret, and yet you never told me. And that's a trap I fall into. That's a trap I think we as Christians can fall into. See, we open the Bible, and we look for a cheat code. We look for a mantra. We look for a prayer. We look for something I'm going to call a Shazam moment. Now, I'm a huge fan of comic books, and there's a, a new film that's come out recently called Shazam. I've not seen it, but I've read the comics. And the main character of Shazam is a boy called Billy. And he's a small, in the comics, he's a bit of a scrawny kid. And he learns the secret power of the universe, the word Shazam. And when he says it, he essentially turns into Superman. And that's what I'm looking for when I read through the Bible. That's what I want. Where's my cheat code for life? Where's my Shazam moment? And so often, we don't find it. And that just gives me more things to worry about. Am I not good enough to find this cheat code? Is it some kind of hidden, decipher, Da Vinci code nonsense I've got to go through? Like, where is it? But it's there, and we miss it. The secret to contentment is in that Bible verse that we so often take out of context, put on a magnet and stick it on our fridge. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How is that going to make me content, though? How is that going to make you content? How does that make us content? A great man once said, do not pray for an easier life. Pray to be a stronger person. I like that. I can do that. I can pray to be better. I can try to be better. Surely me praying to be better comes under the category of all things through Christ. But then again, so does God letting me win the lottery. God can do that. God can make me win the lottery. Why is it when I'm worrying about money, everything will be fine if I just have a little bit more in the bank? Why does God never let me win the lottery? I'd be content after that. I'd be happy. I'd have peace. What about when I've got no food? God could give me food. Or the car's going for the MOT and it's making that weird noise. Well, I'd be content. I'd be happy. But that's not the point of the message. See, it's not about saying to God, give me all I want so that I can be content. It's about saying to God, 
Give me peace. Give me contentment so I know I have all I need. Praying to be a stronger person, not praying for an easier life. I can do that. Maybe that's the secret. And the more you think like that, the more you think that God will give you that peace, the more you think that God will give you that contentment, the more you know that God is going to be your anchor, that he will steer you through the storms, that he will keep you safe no matter what, the more you know that, the more it starts to sound like what you're actually saying to the world is Shazam. Thank you, Charlie. Going to invite our second Charlie. <laughs> he almost got a round of applause then. <laughs> Thank you. Hello. Um, I'm the second Charlie. Um, I'm the third person that's going to speak about contentment this morning, um, which um, felt like an obvious way to go with this passage, but um, I'm hoping that it's God speaking to us this morning. Um, so historian um, Arthur Schlesinger Jr., hoping I pronounced that right, Um, wrote that our society today is marked by inextinguishable discontent. Essentially, our quest is for what is better and for what is next. Maybe we want a better job. Maybe we want better relationships or a better car or a better house. As a society, we live in a culture that's endlessly living for the next thing. Um, And I'm totally, totally guilty of this, whether it's living for the next weekend or the next holiday or the next purchase or the next, next experience. So much so that are we ever truly satisfied or content with what we have or where we are? Um... My own experience in this as I was preparing for today and looking back, um, I can see times in my life where I've, I've n- never felt satisfied in where I'm at and I've always wanted the next thing. Um, when I was at school, um, I hated school um, and I fought and fought with my parents to let me leave at age 16 when I finished my GCSEs so that I could do an apprenticeship. Um, eventually, somehow, I persuaded them to let me do that um, And about 12 months into that, I got very bored with that. Um, Everybody else is going to university, getting a degree. I wanted that. So then I fought really hard with my parents again to let me move 200 miles away, um, go the long way about things to do a degree. Um, And I did. Off I went to Bible college. Um, Then I got to Bible college. Then I did what everybody does when they get to Bible college and spent four years looking for a spouse. Um, (laughs) I found my spouse within probably the first week, but it took me about three years of nagging and gentle encouragement um, to get him to the same place. Um, When I finally got into the same place, it then took me a couple of years of nagging and gentle encouragement um, to get to a point where we were married. Um, That was the next thing I wanted. Then when we were married um, and we lived in our little flat in Poole, You'd think at that point I'd be happy, but no, at that point I just wanted to move back to Derby to be near my family, to buy a house. Um, Last year we bought a house. Um, We spent the last year wishing we bought a house that didn't require quite so much work and in everything we did to it didn't require more work. Um, But hey, we weren't in a position to do that. But I guess the point of that story is um, 
throughout my entire life, I can see times where I constantly wanted more, where I was never quite happy in where I was at that point. Um, And if I'm honest, part of my lack of contentment was looking around me and looking at what others had, comparing myself to my peers, to my siblings, um, to friends, um, wanting what they had, even if their circumstances were very different um, to my own. Um, something that I've recently has recently been highlighted to me is how social media really plays a part in that for me. Um, so this Lent, I've given up social media, um, and honestly, for the first week, I thought I was going to crumble. Um, I had nothing to just sit and look at endlessly. I wasn't looking at pretty photos of people's houses. I wasn't looking at people's food. I wasn't looking at who was going where. Uh, whilst I sat on my sofa, thinking, "Well, they're living this great life, and I'm." feeling quite discontent in what um in the life that I'm living um it's actually been a great experience as much as I'm glad that there's only a week left to go um I've really enjoyed and found it quite freeing to not have that constant reminder of looking at other people and I'm learning to try and be content in where I'm at now um God knows the desires of our hearts and he'll honor those um but it is about being content where we are now. Um, In Philippians 4.11, it says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Paul knew that contentment lies in not what he had, but in whose he was. Um, And I read somewhere this week um, that um, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, is one of the misquoted verses, one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. Because it's not about what we can achieve or what we can accomplish, but it's about being content even when we have nothing. Paul had nothing when he was in prison, yet he had everything in Christ. And when we come into relationship with God, we begin to understand whose we are. A lack of contentment causes us to look horizontally at others, at what everybody else has or where they are. So we end up feeling never truly satisfied. But contentment invites us to look vertically up towards God, regardless of possessions, lack of status, lack of full stop. We know that God is enough. Um, And I found a quote that was written by um, John Stott, who um, was an Anglican priest. He died a few years ago. Um, He's the cutest old man in the world google a photo of him um he's he's just sweet um but he wrote this many years ago contentment is the secret of inward peace it remembers the stark truth that we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it life in fact is a pilgrimage from one moment of nakedness to another so we should travel lightly and simply our enemy is not positioned possessions but excess our battle cry is not nothing but enough and if we know Jesus then we have enough so let that be our battle cry and through this contentment can be learned and I guess just as a little reflection to leave you on what's the one thing today that you feel is separating you from that joy or that contentment how would you end the sentence I will be happy when I'll be happy when I'm promoted, when I'm married, when I'm rich, when I have a new car. How would you end that statement? And then when you have that answer in your mind, answer this. If your ship never comes in, and if your dream never comes true, if the situation never changes, could you be content? Contentment comes when we can honestly say with the Apostle Paul, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. 
I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Thank you, Charlie. Okay, Mike, last but by no means least, can I come and share with us from the same passage? Thank you, Andy. A prize, competing for a prize, actually, what resonated with me is actually, if you're a Christian, you are competing for a prize, but we've got one each. God has given all of us a prize. We press on towards the prize. So, Philippians 4. Generous, overwhelming giving. Who were your childhood heroes? Maybe Superman or Batman. Age about nine, I read a book about Winston Churchill, and Winston Churchill instantly became my childhood hero. Why? Well, he impacted his generation. During the Second World War, he was inspirational. Liked building walls. There's a huge wall in the garden at Chequers that he built during the Second World War. How he relaxed in his free time was to get a trowel and get bricks, and if he didn't like what he built, he'd knock it down and start again. What about Bible heroes? Jesus is the obvious hero of the Bible, but there are many other heroes. There are many people in the scriptures who either have a big part or a small part, but nevertheless are heroes. One of my personal heroes and one of the people I will most want to meet in heaven is the Apostle Paul. Paul was an evangelist. He was a missionary. He was a teacher. He's the writer probably of about half the New Testament. He was a theologian and an apostle. He gave everything to follow Jesus. In the closing salutations at the end of this passage, he sends greetings from the believers in Caesar's household. How did he know Caesar's household? The scripture doesn't tell us, but I wonder if some of the people of Caesar's household were Christians because of Paul. Paul really touched the fabric of society in the day in which he lived. So where was he during this passage? We believe he's probably writing from Rome in the latter part of his life, and he's either in prison or under house arrest. He's actually in a place of need. If you were in a Roman prison, you weren't provided with food, so you needed somebody to help you with food and basic necessities, family or friends. And Paul has actually just received a very generous gift from the Philippians. Verse 15 actually goes on to say, In the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. The Philippians were very generous givers. This wasn't us. So a few thoughts about giving. No one ever became poor 
by giving and frank. We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Winston Churchill. Give, but give until it hurts. Mother Teresa. The meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. Pablo Picasso. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ. The gospel is a sacrificial, lavish giver who gives everything for you and for me. Paul responded to that by giving his whole life. He was beaten up. He was falsely accused. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was thrown into prison and eventually martyred. Now, fortunately, not many of us will possibly have Paul's journey, but actually, Christians are dying for their faith today in many other parts of the world. So, how should we respond? How should we respond to God, this amazing giver? How should we respond to the example of Paul, who gave so freely? We should give to God and to other Christians. Are you a generous giver? It's been said that the last part of a person to get converted is often the wallet. So should we give money? Absolutely. But in the modern Western world, giving money can actually be tokenistic. We give a couple of pounds to a charity and think we've saved the world. So is giving money? Absolutely. But I believe it's many other things as well. We live in a society which is very time poor. Giving of your time for other people can be amazing. Giving our talents can be amazing. Having love, compassion, praying for people. Paul gave his whole life. How should we respond? We should go deeper and be more generous. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are an amazing giver. Thank you that you gave your life for us. Help us to give our lives to you in return. Help us, like Paul, to be prepared to go wherever we need to go, to do whatever we need to do to serve you. Amen.